So each week, I've called this Sermon on the Mount that we're in, Jesus' instruction manual on how we are to live as the church and how you are to live as a Christian in this world. And it got me thinking about instruction manuals. What's the purpose of an instruction manual? The purpose of an instruction manual is it gives you detailed information on how to build what's on the box. Say, for example, like a model airplane or uh, like a grill or like a cabinet of some kind or uh, Legos. If you were like me growing up, it was Legos. I could never, I could literally never uh, build uh, what was on the box, even Legos as a kid. I love Legos. I just, I'm just not an architect. I'm not a builder. Uh, but in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's, it's Jesus' instruction manual on how we're supposed to build our lives. Jesus has called us to live a certain way in this world. And he has laid out three chapters long, all red letters, words being spoken directly out of his mouth on how you are to live in this world. And yeah, it's, it's detailed. Some of these words that Jesus speaks are extreme. They're bold words. And yeah, it's very counterculture. It's, it's not of this world. And as Christians, we're not of this world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. That's what Jesus says about us. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's no different. This is how we're supposed to live. And so this is a topic today that's very different. A topic not often you hear. But I want to preface, this is just going to be some, a different kind of talk today. Maybe even a bit uncomfortable for some people. But I want you to know that this is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. And this is being spoken directly out of the mouth of Jesus, the one that you've trusted with your salvation. And He instructs us on a certain way and a certain path to take regarding certain things that we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Please know from my end, this is not an easy topic to discuss. Specifically, it's not an easy topic to discuss in our culture and in our society. But it is of a great importance. Jesus has a completely different standard than our society does. He has a completely different standard than our culture does. See, culture tells you you can look, but you can't touch. Jesus says, if you look, gouge out your eye. Seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? I would say it is, because it is extreme. It's counter-culture. I would even submit to you that Christians in the church all across this globe have a problem with words like this. There are words that Jesus speaks of and there are words throughout the Bible that Christians don't agree with. Christians pick and choose what they want to obey. And Jesus is giving commands here saying, this is what you are to obey. This is how you are to live. And so Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said by God to Moses in the law. The law was the standard of living for the nation of Israel. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Number seven on that list. Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. 
So what is adultery? Many of us may know what adultery is. It's, it's sex between uh, sex outside of the covenant of marriage. So if you're married and you have sexual relations with another person outside of the covenant of your marriage, that's adultery. But really in the church, adultery is sex of any kind outside of the covenant of marriage. And the Word of God tells us, church, that sex is to only happen between a man and his wife. And this is clearly illustrated for us all throughout Scripture. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It is not between a man and a man. It is not between a woman and a woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And sex is only to be done between a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. It does not honor God, and therefore it is disobedient towards God and His Word. Marriage is an institution created by our Heavenly Father. It is God who joins a man and a woman together in the covenant of marriage and causes them to become one flesh. So marriage is approved by God, it's institutionalized by God, and it is accepted by God. Sex between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage as one flesh is a very good thing. However, any sort of sexual relations outside of that is not good. It's sin. This is often why sex gets a bad rap in the church today. But here for me, and really more from, from God, sex is not a bad thing. In fact, there are, it's a very good thing. And there is proof all throughout Scripture that points to that very thing. Sex is a good... Just go read Song of Solomon. Sex is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. So in the Old Testament law that Jesus is referring to here, He says you shall not commit adultery. Well, in the book of Leviticus, this is the law for the nation of Israel, it says this, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, must be put to death. Now that's extreme. It's very extreme. But I want you to look at these words, commit adultery. We may not be as familiar with those words, commit adultery. See, you're not raised in your household uh, told by your parents or told by government or uh, told by the, maybe the education system, hey, when you get older, you go out in the big bad world, don't commit adultery, okay? Hear it from me, don't commit adultery. Your parents probably didn't really tell you that. Um, the government's not really telling you that. Uh, uh, your culture's not telling you that. The education system, they're not telling you don't commit adultery. What they're telling you is and what you're more familiar is with don't commit a crime. What happens when you commit a crime? You face a particular punishment when you commit a crime. When I was uh, in ninth grade, this was back in 2002. I know some of you were like, you were in ninth grade yesterday. It's not true, though. My buddy and I, we weren't old enough to drive and have a driver's license, so we wanted to go to a Dallas Mavericks game. And it was about a 30-minute car drive, but it was about an hour-long train ride. And uh, to, to have more money for ourselves for the game to get, you know, maybe an extra hot dog or a drink or something, we decided to not buy a ticket for the train. So we just hopped on the train. We're a couple of young kids. Nobody's going to bother us. We're going to do our own thing. We're minding our business. We're just going to look outside the windows the whole time. And when you're not engaging with people on the train, just look outside the window. Nobody's going to mess with you, right? Wrong. <laughs> this officer is making his way down, cart after cart after cart in the train. And inevitably, he made his way to me and my friend. Let me see your ticket. Well, we didn't have a ticket. So he gave us a ticket. But it was not the kind of ticket that we were hoping for. 
See, this kind of ticket was the, the one that you had to pay a, a fine for. So the requirement to ride that train was you had to purchase a ticket for that train. And the punishment for not having that ticket was you had to pay a fine. Even worse than that, and awkwardly I'll say, my friend and I had to write a letter to the judge explaining to him in very detailed uh, form how the machine works to purchase a ticket. That was our punishment. A fine and a letter that I believe my mom still has today. <laughs> so the requirement for a train ride was a ticket, and the punishment for not having that ticket was a fine. Because there's always a punishment when you commit a crime. That's how the law works. Well, to commit a, adultery today, it's not punishable by death. Nobody's going to come after you and stone you to death. However, it will affect you spiritually. If you want to destroy all that is good with sex, go and have an affair. Having sex outside of marriage, it can and it will inevitably destroy families, marriages, livelihoods, communities, relationships. All kinds of relationships will be severed and broken due to sexual sin. So Jesus says, it, by the way, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone, keyword there, who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So last week, Chris talked about murder and anger and how uh, the root of murder is anger. So if you want to get to the weed of the problem, murder, you've got to get to the root of the problem, which is anger. So what Jesus is saying here is that the heart of adultery is lust. The heart of the sin problem is lust. Like, think about this. Long before a, a wife ever sleeps with someone other than her husband, or a husband sleeps with someone other than his wife, the affair begins in the mind. That affair begins in your heart. It begins with a desire, a, a fantasy. Jesus is saying, everyone who looks, everyone who looks, has already committed adultery. Has already sinned sexually. If you look in that manner. Jesus says it begins with your eyes. John Maxwell has a quote that says. Lust is a thought that I entertain. Cherish or hold on to. That if I did what I was thinking. It would clearly be sin. There was a city in um, ancient Greece. Uh, a town called. Or a city called Thessalonica. Uh, Paul the Apostle wrote letters to. Thessalonica, the church there. It's called First and Second Thessalonians. Now, the city of Thessalonica was rampant with sexual immorality. It was all about their culture was sexual. It was the epicenter of Thessalonica. Sexual, sexuality, prostitution, sexual exploitation was the norm in a place called Thessalonica. And that sexual exploitation had made its way into the church. Now, did you hear that? Culture had made its way into the church. And the Apostle Paul addresses this. He says, for it is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? That's a fancy church word, but a very important word that you see all throughout Scripture. It means to be set apart for a purpose. If you want to know God's will for your life, whether you're in your 70s or you're in your 20s, if you're seeking God's will for your life in this season, Paul just told you, it's your sanctification. 
You're, a, you're set apart for a purpose. And what's your purpose ultimately? To fulfill God's will in your life. To look more like Jesus every single day. So Paul goes, for, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now the word for Gentiles there is pagans. These are people who are outside of the Christian faith, non-believers. Paul says, people who don't know God. They may act like that, you are not supposed to. The word here in Greek for sexual immorality is porneia. That's where we get the word pornography. Let me just give you some stats about pornography. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites every month. One-third of those are women. And 8 out of 10, which makes up 79% of men between ages 18 and 30, view pornography, pornography monthly. 12% of all web pages are pornographic. 25% of all search-related requests are for sex. Just over 28,000 people watch porn every single second. Porn is a $97 billion a year industry. $12 billion of that money comes from the United States. And just over $3,000 is spent on porn every single second. And if those aren't shocking enough to you, look at these. 50% of male Christians view pornography regularly. Most popular day to view porn is today, Sunday, which would make for this a relevant topic, I think. And maybe the most shocking of all, 64% of people in porn are being sex trafficked. This is the world that we live in today. And to think our God and Heavenly Father created sex to be enjoyed. Like it was initially a good thing that God created for man, and then man distorted it. Now it's become a destructive evil that destroys marriages all across this globe. It destroys families, relationships, friendships, communities, churches, even leaders in churches, pastors, people who minister to their people regularly. Church leaders, elders all across the globe are falling due to sexual sin, due to being addicted to pornography. You want to know just how depraved our society is? Just recently, Netflix came out with this uh, controversial series. Uh, it's called Cuties. Maybe you've seen this or heard about it or read it on Facebook. Cuties is essentially about a, a group of 11-year-old girls who are dressing provocatively, who are dancing provocatively, who are using hand gestures provocatively. 650 11-year-old girls auditioned for this movie, dancing provocatively for grown men and women to audition for this TV series. Young girls and boys all over the world are being sexualized, are being kidnapped and put in sex trafficking where very brutal things happen to them. And not only that, but our culture is so big right now in being women becoming men or men becoming women, that they're pushing young people, young boys and girls, to transition to the opposite sex. This is our culture. This is the state of our society. This is what humanity has become. And Jesus is getting at the heart of it. 
is getting at the heart of sexual immorality. It starts with your eyes. And Jesus has something to say about that. Pick up in verse 29. It says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand, your more dominant hand, your more dominant eye, if it causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your entire body be thrown into the pits of hell. The word sin here in the Greek is where we get the word, uh, well, it's scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. It means to fall into sin. It, It means to fall into the trap. In other words, Jesus is letting all of us in on a little secret. When you go on your phone and you start scrolling through social media, Instagram, Facebook, or maybe you're at the grocery store or Barnes & Noble or wherever, and you start flipping through a magazine because it had an enticing photo on it, a a woman that was appealing to you, men, or or a man who was appealing to you, women. You start flipping through that magazine. You start shuffling through social media. What you've just done is, is fallen into the trap. You start looking at images you know you're not supposed to look at. And it takes you on a deeper, darker path. That's falling into the trap. You just gave in to sexual exploitation. You've been baited and hooked when that happens. Because what starts as just an innocent flipping through the pages of a magazine, scrolling through social media, becomes worse. The next thing you know, you're you're Googling a a pornographic site. You're texting a person that you know you should not be texting one-on-one because you're married or they're married. You're not respecting boundaries. Boundaries is a huge aspect of this. You want to flee from sexual immorality, you have to set boundaries. The reality is, Jesus says, and he's not being literal, by the way, so I hope nobody takes this literal, but the reality is none of us want to actually cut off our arms, do we? Or gouge our eye out. Can can you imagine our worship service if we all came in here? You know the part pre-COVID when we we tell you to turn and greet your neighbor, you know, those around you? Nobody would be able to do that. Nobody would have any hands. You'd have to, like, headbutt each other or something. <laughs> and that would just be a worse scenario. But what if we, we were worshiping and everybody was just, like, singing their own lyrics because you couldn't actually see the projector because nobody had any eyes? Because none of us would. We would have little to no limbs. Jesus is not being literal. But the reality is, if he were, why, we would never do that especially our dominant hand. We're talking about the hand that you use to scroll social media with. The hand that you use to talk on the phone, cook your food with, write, maybe type. You know, you're maybe you're a little faster with your right hand or if you're left-handed, you're, you're left-handed. Or more importantly, the dominant hand that you use to change the channel with. I'm not going to cut that hand off. There's football games on today. I got red zone. I want to watch all the games and I got to click. I'm not going to cut my hand off just because I looked at porn. No way. All of those things, by the way, are good. Talking on the phone's good. Using your hand for your phone, uh, clicking your remote, writing, those are good things. But can I tell you that uh, if they cause you to stumble, if they cause you to fall into sin, Jesus is saying it's better for you to get rid of that one body part than for your whole entire body to be thrown into the pits of hell. That's what Jesus is saying. In other words, flipping through the TV guide or on social media, or writing, uh, all of those things, they're not worth going to hell over. I don't know if you remember a guy, 
by the name of Aaron Ralston. Back in 2003, Aaron it was an avid climber and hiker. Um, they made a movie about his story. It's called 127 Hours. And Aaron went hiking all by himself. He didn't tell anybody where he was going in, in a canyon and somewhere in Utah. And Aaron had gotten to this point where there was this crevice, a very narrow crevice, and he had put all of his weight on this several-ton boulder. Well, that boulder fell, and he got his arm stuck between that several-ton boulder and the wall. He could not move. Aaron was literally unable to move. And nobody knew where he was, and it was in the middle of the week, so nobody was out hiking. And plus, he was in a far distant place where nobody could heard when he was screaming. So Aaron, for five days, stayed in that same position. Now, he, he was an avid climber. He had, his, he had some tools with him and things like that. Uh, but Aaron had come to, he had run out of water, and he was drinking his own urine. It had gotten that bad. This was life and death. Aaron had gotten to the point, okay, either I cut my arm off or I'm going to die here. And thankfully, Aaron had not the best knife, but a knife. This is not the, the sharpest of blades here. Aaron started to cut his own arm off. He had gotten to the bone. There's two bones in your arm. He couldn't cut it with that knife. So Aaron had to break both of his bones. And then when he got to the tendon, that knife wasn't sharp enough to cut that tendon, so he flipped to this part of the knife, and he pulled his tendon out, and he cut himself free from about here down. That was Aaron's dominant hand, by the way. In his book, he talks about how he was trying to learn how to peel an orange with his least dominant hand. You see, Aaron had come face to face with this reality. I either cut my own arm off or I will die here. And so Aaron cut his arm off and he broke himself free and he traveled seven miles to freedom. You know, Jesus is not being literal but what he is saying, take every means necessary to prevent yourself from falling into the trap. And maybe there's someone or, or multiple people in this room, you need to get rid of your, your smartphone or your iPhone. You just need a flip phone because you just can't contain yourself. Maybe you, just not, you can't go into public without your spouse because you're just so eager to look at other women or other men. You've got to take this serious. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not telling you literally to cut your arm off or gouge your eye out. But what I am telling you is this is a serious matter and you need to take serious next steps to prevent yourself from falling into sin. To prevent yourself from falling into the trap. It's crazy because we, we read in the Old Testament the consequence for sexual sin is punishable by death. And obviously we're like, man, that's extreme. That's cruel. That's crazy. I can't imagine living in a world where that was the case. But I want to show you what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says in Romans 6, verse 23. He says, the wages of sin is death. That's what Paul says. The wages of sin is death. So to bring all of this full circle, your sexual sin, the lust of your eyes, the lust of your heart, it's punishable by death. And what do you mean, Nate? Is this so am I going to be stoned to death? Are they going to put me on the electric chair? Am I going to physically die if I look at pornography? No, physical death is certainly not the outcome for sexual sin in 2020 post-Jesus. This is spiritual. To sin sexually is to transgress against God. In other words, sexual sin 
is offensive towards God. Yes, we can offend God when we sin sexually. And Paul has something to say about this. He says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, living not in holiness, but living in impurity, whoever disregards that, disregards not man, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. So if Christ is in you, then you should know better. And if you know better, then you know that to sin sexually is to disregard your God. It's to disregard God and His Word. It's to disregard God's standard of living for the Christian. The Bible says in these Scriptures, be holy as I am holy. Because there are consequences if you're not. There's consequences if you lust. There's consequences if you look at pornography. There's consequences if if you have an active sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage. And Paul says the wages of sin is death. In other words, your sin, it costs you something. And the payment for that sin is death. That's New Testament. That's what Paul is saying. Now, this isn't death by stoning. This isn't you being condemned to death physically. This is spiritual. When you sin sexually... Here's what's happening when you do that as a Christian. You quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you distance the fellowship between you and God. When you sin sexually, you quench the the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you distance the fellowship between you and your Father in heaven. May I remind us that we all, if you're in Christ, have the most powerful force in the universe living inside of us. The Holy Spirit of the living God dwells in you, Christian. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to help you accomplish God's will in this world. What an incredible resource we have. The Holy Spirit's job in your life is to help you accomplish God's will in this world. So if you, if you disregard God, who is the giver of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, then you're quenching the flame of the Spirit in your life. And Paul says this, do not quench the Spirit. She'll get it up there, but do not quench the Spirit. That's what Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish the Holy Spirit's power in your life. When you sin sexually, when you, when you look at pornography, when you lust day after day, and you don't make an effort to stop, you're quenching the Spirit's power in your own life. And Paul says, Don't do that. Don't do that. Like if you truly want God to work in your life, if you want to see God's kingdom come around you, stop sinning. Obey God. Honor Him. Live in purity. Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed by the patterns of pornography. Don't be conformed by the patterns of lust. Don't be conformed by the patterns of this culture. Don't be conformed by the by the enticing lure of that woman or that man. No, Paul says, be conformed, not conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you're struggling in this room, don't struggle in silence. You've got to take action. Like, Like, do people know you're struggling? Do you have someone to talk to? Do you have someone to pray for you? More importantly, do you have someone who can hold you 
accountable. There are a couple of uh, resources that are out there. One of them is called X3 Watch. X3 Watch is a, a resource that you can download on your, all of your devices. Your, your iPhone, your, your smartphone, your computer, uh, your iPad, whatever devices you have or you have access to the Internet, you can download X3 Watch on it. Now, what X3 Watch is, is it's a resource where it, it, it uh, watches everything that you search online that's questionable. And what you have is accountability partners who have access to X3 Watch, whether you have one, two, or many. So everything that you search that's questionable, they'll get the report every week. So those people are able to come to you and say, I know you're trying, but you got this, 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 and this. And I just want to encourage you, you know, let's, let's work at it. Let's pray together. I mean, when you have people coming alongside you who are holding you accountable and are praying for you, that is how, that is how you can overcome those temptations. And this resource is a beautiful thing. Um, so if you're struggling with pornography in this room, I want you to know that there's hope for you. If you're struggling with lust so badly, it's important for you to know there is hope for you. You're not stuck. You're not meant to be stuck. Whether you need to talk to me after, I would love to talk with you or someone else. Take whatever next steps you need to to prevent yourself from falling into sin. Now, married couples and for families and singles and, and anyone in this room, there's another resource out there because I love movies. I'm all about movies. But I've learned as a Christian, I need to guard my eyes. There's another resource out there that you can find available. It's called Vid Angel. Look at their uh, slogan. Watch however the bleep you want. On VidAngel, you can access this, and you can literally bleep out all profanity, all nudity, anything of your choosing to make sure every single movie or TV show that you watch is G-rated. Another incredible resource. We think just a little bit of nudity is not going to control our mind and send us down a path that we, don't, that we know we're not supposed to go. We think a little bit of profanity is not going to affect the way we talk. You're wrong. You're wrong. Take whatever next step you need to and bleep out everything that you feel like you need to bleep out. And I would suggest to you that's nudity, for starters. Paul says, again, the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news for you and for me and all who are living and breathing in this world if they trust in Jesus. Paul says, yes, the wages of sin is death. That's truth. That's biblical truth. But the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's worth an amen from someone. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truth remains. The fact remains. Your sin cost you something. But the gospel says Jesus paid for your sin on your behalf. The Bible says that grace is freely given by Jesus. It's why Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of our sins and offer up eternal life through His resurrection. He, he paid for your sins. And He paid for mine. And, and if you're sinning right now, stop. It's not healthy. It's not, it's not God's will for your life. And so if you're feeling shame right now, it's God's Spirit convicting you. The Holy Spirit of the living God is convicting you right now. He's using this time to convict you and to point you on the right path. You're not meant to feel shame. You are meant to walk out of this room shameless. Not shameful. You just have to admit you can't stop. And you have to invite Jesus, your Savior, into your journey. 
You see, Jesus is the one who stood sin face to face and overcame it. Jesus was tempted in every single way that we are, but he never sinned. Jesus went to battle for you. He proved to you he's worthy of your trust in him. You have to invite Jesus in to your journey of sin struggles, of sexual sin. Because Jesus is the only power in the universe who can actually overcome sin. And he confronted it face to face, and he overcame it. And here's what the devil wants you to think, by the way. You could do all of this on your own. If, if people in this room knew that you sometimes, from time to time, look at pornography, here's the, they're going to know that you look at pornography. If you tell them, they're going to know. You don't tell them. You can do it on your own. Just try harder. Just try better. Listen to Nate. He's giving you, just do it by yourself. Just do it. That's what the devil's telling you right now. Don't do that. Seek out accountability. Tell somebody. Let people come alongside you in this journey. Look, I don't know who this message is for, but I know that somebody needs grace today. And Jesus is offering you grace at the foot of his cross right now. You don't have to be a slave to pornography. You don't. You don't have to be a slave to lust. You don't. You don't have to be a slave to any kind of sexual sin. Here's the best news of all. You are forgiven already. If Christ is in you, you are already forgiven. And that's the good news of the Bible. The best news in all the universe is Jesus paid for your sins and resurrected from the dead and offered you eternal life. So here's what happens when you trust in Jesus and you lay your sins at the foot of the cross. You have the power to overcome it with his presence. You have the power to overcome your sin with his help. The question is, will you take it? Will you take it? The worship team can go ahead and come up here. The question is, will you take it? Jesus is offering you his cross. And he's saying, give me your sins, son. Give me your sins, daughter. I've already paid for them all. I've stood sin face to face, and I annihilated it. And Jesus can do that for you too. He can do that for you right now. The last thing I want anybody to do is walk out of this building feeling shame. The last thing I want anybody to do is walk out of this building feeling guilty because of your sin. Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who conquered sin and death, death and rose from the grave, is saying, you've already been forgiven. That's why I went to the cross, to pay for your sin. Now, whatever sin struggle you have, bring it to me, Jesus is saying, and lay it at the foot of the cross. So that when you walk out of here, you can walk out with freedom. And you can walk out here with assurance knowing that the God who created all things is with you. He is for you. And He wants you to succeed. And that's a beautiful thing. So we're going to worship together this last time. And during this time, I want to invite you to come up. If you need prayer, come. Let me pray for you. I'll be right here. If you want to talk to me, whether here or after the service, come find me. We'll talk. If you want to go use the prayer room right now, go and and do that. If you need to just stand and worship and pray in your own heart, feel free to do that. But please know this. Your Heavenly Father has forgiven you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. Your Heavenly Father died for your sins and rose again so that you could have life and have it in its fullness. Let's worship together.